Where do you want me to sit? Right here? Is this thing on? <coughs> Hi, I'm Joe. Uh, I'm a third generation property manager here in the GJA. That's the Greater Jerusalem area. And my full name is Joseph. My daddy's name is Josiah. And my granddaddy's name is Josephus. Uh, they were all property managers. Uh, we specialize in gardens specifically. I guess all we really do is gardens. Well, look, we're just gardeners, okay? I'll just tell you right now, we're just gardeners. And people are always saying, hey, Joe, you're just a gardener, bro. And I like to tell those people that gardening is the most important job. It's actually the first job. Before any other jobs, God created a garden and put a man in charge of the garden, hence a gardener. Actually, God's like the original gardener, so what can I say? I'm pretty important. I kind of just get paid to play in the dirt, to be honest with you, but I'm really good at making things grow. It always amazes me how from a tiny little seed buried in the dirt comes all of this life that we see around us. In fact, we all come from the dirt. I mean, Moses tells us in Genesis that God formed man out of the dirt and breathed life into his nostrils and he came alive. Every time you breathe, it's a reminder of the breath of God that gives you life. I just wish I could be as good at home as I am in the garden. I mean, in the garden, I'm in my elements, I'm seeing things grow, but at home, let me put it this way, my relationship with my wife, my kids, it's wilting, it's dying, it's withering. There's thorns growing up, the soil is dry. I think it might be too late to turn things around. That's why I spend so much time at work. I'm failing at home, but hey, work has never been better. Our company is expanding. The number of properties that we oversee is growing every day. I just don't have the time or energy to put in at home, you know? The garden is my escape. It's my happy place. It's where I go to when things are difficult. My favorite garden to manage is this one. It's up on the hill. It's just outside of Jerusalem. It's near the place called the Skull. Ask anyone, they know where that is. At least now they do. But from up in that garden, the noise of the city is a little more distant. You can see the hustle and the bustle down below, but you're removed from it. It's a little more quiet. It's peaceful. It's like an escape. Not to mention that the owner is filthy rich, okay? This guy is from outside of town, a place called Arimathea. Um, I've never been there, but we have this special connection because my name's Joe, his name is Joe, Joseph from Arimathea, that's what everybody calls him. So we've got that connection. But let me tell you, whatever plants this guy wants, he gets. I mean, it's the biggest gardening budget that I manage, and I'm really glad to have his business. Like, for instance, just recently, he decided he wanted a tomb carved in the rock. 
Yes, that's right, a tomb, like a cave. Now, when I say tomb, don't think of like a six foot rectangle in the ground. Think about like a room in your house. I mean, this was extravagant. He spared no expense. He brought in the top crew and then he shipped in this massive stone and he carved a notch in front of the tomb for it to roll in front of the opening like this big magnificent door to seal off the tomb. And I'm thinking, this guy's young, he's wealthy, he seems healthy, something must be wrong. So I talked to him. I said, like, are you making plans for yourself? He said, no, he was fine, he was in good health. He just felt like it was something that he should do. I feel like he's too young to be digging his own grave, but I'm just the gardener. I got paid to work on that job, so I did it. That brings me to what happened last week. I mean, what a crazy week. Uh, first of all, Passover week is the busiest week in the city of Jerusalem all year long. Thousands upon thousands of people come for the festival from all around. We were actually hosting my wife's family, her parents, of course, her family. I mean, my family, we never get to host, but her family, we give up our bedroom. They're sleeping in my bed. I'm sleeping on the floor. It's the busiest week of my career, and I'm sleeping on the floor in my own house. I mean, can you get that? And let me tell you, work is crazy. Every property that I manage needs to look its best for the Passover week. We're talking fresh flowers, mulch, mowed lawns, prune trees. It's endless. Now this year was different to say the least. You could almost feel the surge of energy in the city. If you haven't heard by now, Jesus of Nazareth is all that anyone is talking about these days. I mean, he always came for the festivals with his family, but this year there was all this talk about how Jesus and his followers, the disciples, were going to lead a rebellion against the Romans. So. Last Sunday, people lined up on the streets to welcome Jesus into the city like a king. Get this picture. He rides in on a donkey. Yeah, that's right, a donkey. And then people, who do they think they are? They can climb up the palm trees and tear the branches off? Uh, I never want to see a palm branch again in my life. They just tore them off. They're waving them in the air, shouting Hosanna, and then they throw them on the ground. Now, who do they think has to clean up all of those palm branches? Yeah, that's right, yours truly. I mean, the busiest week of my life, and then I'm walking the streets of the city picking up palm branches that people thought they could tear off my trees? I'm pretty sure I'm gonna lose some business from that one. I put in so many hours last week. The wife was asking me to get lights up and decorations hung for the Passover. I mean, what does she expect from me? Does she have any idea how hard I'm working to pay for all the food that her family is eating while they stay in our home sleeping in my bed? I mean, choice lamb is expensive. I've got a kink in my neck because I've been sleeping on the floor. My kids constantly want my attention. And then I suffered through the Passover meal with my in-laws on Thursday. My father-in-law, Simeon, he said that I was carving the roast lamb wrong. Can you imagine in my own house, at my own table, he said that I could have done a better job with one of my gardening tools. One of my gardening tools. So I had had enough. I just dropped the fork and knife and I stormed out. I left. I made up some excuse about how I had to go to the garden. Because that's what I always do. 
I had to work. So there's this other garden that I manage, and it's a little further outside of town. It's across the Kidron Valley. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you like olive oil, if you like Greek salads, this is the place to get your purest olive oil. I mean, it smells so sweet there all the time. It's where I go when I'm stressed, when I'm frustrated. I was surprised to see that I wasn't the only one there. I mean, it's the middle of the night, and then there's this crowd of soldiers coming with torches and weapons. I hear them call out somebody's name, and I recognize it. Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus is in the garden. All of a sudden, Jesus and his followers are standing with them. And then they're shouting. And then I hear a sword fly and somebody crying out in pain. And then all of a sudden, it quiets down. And there's a quiet conversation. And then as, as quickly as it began, it ended. Jesus' followers ran off. And Jesus went with the soldiers who were carrying the swords and clubs and the torches. I just, I couldn't sleep that night. I was just wondering, what are they going to do with Jesus? What's going to happen with Jesus? I mean, everybody's talking about Jesus. He's the most common conversation in the city during Passover. And I just watched him being taken by the soldiers, being arrested. Not to mention, I'm sleeping on the floor. It wasn't a great night's sleep. So I left early the next morning for work. There was a ton of stuff to do through the city following the Passover. I mean, the place is just a mess. Plus, I didn't want to stick around and try and explain to my wife why I stormed out from the Passover meal last night. I knew it would just be another fight, another argument. It seems like that's all we do. As I gathered my tools and I headed through the city on Friday morning, my curiosity got the best of me. I just had to know what was happening with Jesus. And I quickly realized that I wasn't the only one. There were crowds of people already gathered outside the governor's headquarters. And I have to admit, I didn't get much work done that morning. <laughs> Not at all, to be honest with you. I just had to see Jesus went from Pilate to King Herod. And then King Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. And then I hear Pilate say that he found nothing wrong with this man. Jesus is innocent, so what should he do with him? And then all of a sudden, the crowd that I was standing in began to chant. They began to cheer almost, and they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I didn't know what to do. I'm just standing in the crowd. I didn't want to see Jesus crucified, but I felt a nudge, and I knew I'm standing with the crowd. I don't want to stand out, so I started to chant too, crucify him, crucify him. And then that's exactly what happened. It all happened so quick. I just followed the crowd. And they made Jesus carry his cross through the streets and up to the place called the Skull. I couldn't handle it. I've never been one to be entertained by those Roman crucifixions. They're brutal. They're disgusting and violent. And I didn't need to see that. So I went to Joseph's garden. It was close by. I pretended to work, but all I could do was listen to that crowd screaming and yelling and mocking and spitting and hitting, and I could hear the whips. I couldn't get that image of Jesus out of my head. He was just standing there. Why did he just stand there? 
Why did he remain there in silence? Why didn't he argue? Why didn't he defend himself? No, I've heard stories of where Jesus flipped the conversation back on the people who were accusing him and they could give no response. They could give no defense. Why didn't he do that? But instead, Jesus just stood there in silence. He never said a thing. Actually, he did. I, I remember one thing that he said as I was there in the garden. I overheard him say, Father, forgive them. How could he say that? Why would he do that? I paused to pull out my lunch because it was about noon. And this is where things got really crazy. I mean, everything went dark. It was like the sun disappeared. It was like the darkest night. No longer was it the sound of mocking, but it was the sounds of screaming in fear. People couldn't see. People didn't know what to do. Uh, in the distance, I could see lights being lit in the city and the faint sight of candlelight in the distance. But it was still so dark in the garden, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't see. I didn't dare move. I just sat there. This was it. This was it. This was the end. All of a sudden, all I could think about was my family, my wife, my kids, my neglect as a husband and a father, the way that I stormed out, the way that I spoke to my in-laws. If this was the end, I'll never get to make things right. I mean, how could God accept a person like me? Just then, I saw a crowd coming with torches, and they're weeping and crying and mourning, and I can hear a familiar voice, somebody giving direction, somebody showing them where to go, and, and I can see they're carrying something, something big, something wrapped in a sheet. And I recognize the voice. It's, it's my boss. It's the owner of this garden, Joseph of Arimathea. He's coming in. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to explain that I wasn't working. I was so wrapped up in emotion. I just jumped behind the tree and I watched. He and some others had the body of Jesus. They had just taken it down from the cross and they were bringing it to the garden to lay it in the brand new tomb that he had just finished. And then they rolled that huge stone over the entrance and Roman soldiers stood guard in front of the grave. As quickly as it began, it ended. Everyone rushed home to prepare for the Sabbath because it was already late in the day. Let me tell you, that Saturday was the longest, quietest day I have ever experienced in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, the place is just swelling with people, but yet there was a silence. It was as if everyone was holding their breath to see if it was actually true, if Jesus was actually gone, if he had actually died and been buried. My wife knew something was up, but I just kept quiet. I didn't know what to say. She kept asking. She kept nagging. Talk to me, Joe. So I stormed out again. I, I went up to the roof of our home. The city was so quiet. I mean, how could so much yelling and screaming disappear in just one night? Was that it? Is it over? Could that really be what all of the uproar, all of the conversations were about? How could so much yelling and screaming disappear in one night? 
It was like everyone was holding their breath. My kids found me up on the roof and they came running. They had all kinds of questions. What happened to Jesus? What did they do? What's going to happen with the Romans? What about us? Are we safe? Is he coming back? And I didn't know what to say. I didn't want them to see me crying, to see me upset. So I just yelled at them, get back inside. And they ran in tears. What am I supposed to do now? Fast enough. I had to get back to the garden. I had to see Joseph's garden to see the tomb. And as I arrived at the garden, I, I felt the earth quake under my feet. An earthquake. Are you serious? This is the, the craziest weekend of my life. I've never felt an earthquake in the city of Jerusalem. And as I arrived in the garden, I saw from the other side three figures coming from the other side of the garden. And as I peered through the trees, I saw in the distance, it was the three women who helped to carry Jesus' body with Joseph of Arimathea into his garden, into the new tomb that he had just constructed. It was Mary and Mary and Salome. They were carrying spices and they were coming towards the tomb. I, I didn't want them to see me, but maybe I should help them. I, I didn't know what to do. I just, I felt so terrible for how I had acted on Friday, how I had chanted crucify him, how I had cheered with the crowd, how I had just watched. I hid in the garden like a coward and I didn't stand up for a man who was innocent. It's death. But then as I was watching these women, I heard them scream. And I had to run around to see what they were looking at. And, and when I saw what they were looking at, I gasped. I couldn't believe it. They were looking at an open tomb. The stone had been rolled back. Now, how did that happen? I was there when they installed that stone. I saw the teams of men. I saw the horses. I saw the carts. I saw the pulleys. I saw the staging. I saw the work that it took to get that stone in place. Who could have rolled that back? And these women, as they stood there, they were just wrapped in fear. They were so scared. And then all of a sudden, like a flash of lightning, there were two men standing right in front of them. And those two men were wearing dazzling white and they were shining bright as the sun. I had to squint as I was watching them stand in front. Just before that, one of the ladies, Mary, I watched her run back into the city and tell the people that, the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. Who had taken him? I watched as these women are now standing in front of, could it be angels? As they were so afraid, they just bowed to the ground and they kept their heads low. And I watched and I heard the angels speak to them. And the angels said to these two ladies, they said, whom are you seeking? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He is risen. Tell the disciples, tell Peter that he goes before you into Galilee and you will meet him there. Could this be true? Am I really seeing angels speaking to these ladies? And as, as the ladies began to run back into the city, I thought to myself, who could have done this? Who could have moved the body of Jesus? 
the stone had been rolled, it would have taken teams of men and horses. The Roman soldiers, they were gone. If Roman soldiers leave the post, they lose their head. Who could have done this? Where was the body of Jesus? Why would somebody do that? As I watched these ladies run, I, I turned to look back and the angels were gone. It was just me in the garden, or, or so I thought. Two men came running from a distance. Apparently Mary had got the message to the disciples before Mary and Salome could make it to tell them the news. And I recognized the two men who were running. The first was John, one of Jesus' closest followers. The second was Peter, the one who's always speaking on behalf of the disciples. John was running faster than Peter, and John arrived at the tomb first. And bowing down, he looked into the tomb. But then as Peter arrived at the tomb, he ran directly in. And I heard the conversation they had as I was watching from a distance. Peter and John were talking about the grave clothes. Why would the clothes still be there? They said that Jesus' clothes were wrapped and placed on one side, and then the cloth that had covered his face was wrapped and placed on the other. Why would somebody do that? If somebody was robbing the grave, the clothes would be about the only thing to take. If somebody was moving the body, then why would they take the linen cloth off of it? I didn't understand. But then Peter and John began to walk back into the city. And as I sat there, I thought, could this be an act of jealousy? Could King Herod have been so jealous of Jesus that he didn't want to see Jesus honored in death by being buried in a rich man's grave? So he had him moved and buried with the commoners outside the city? Or maybe this, maybe this was an act of, of trying to control the people. Maybe Rome was stepping in to flex their political muscle, make a display of this one who called himself the king, the king of the Jews. Who would move the body of Jesus? As I was sitting in the garden trying to figure out all of this, hiding behind the trees for fear that somebody else would see me, or I saw from the distance Mary return. She must have just missed Peter and John as they were heading back to the city, and Mary Magdalene returned back into the garden. I had heard stories about Mary. I knew she was always a little different. Many called her crazy. Many called her possessed. I had heard a rumor that Jesus had released seven demons from Mary. And now Mary returns and she's standing outside the tomb. I thought, should I comfort her? Should I tell her? Does she know that Mary and Salome saw the angels? Does she know that Peter and John went into the tomb and saw the clothes folded? Does she know? But then, as I was talking to her, Mary was weeping, standing outside the tomb. And as she was weeping, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And there, seated in the tomb, were the two angels that had appeared to Mary and Salome just earlier that morning. And as she went in and observed, the two angels were seated where the body of Jesus' head laid. One was at his head, one was where the feet would have been. And those angels, they, they called out to Mary and they said, why are you weeping? I don't know if she didn't understand what she was seeing, if she was in shock or if she was just so emotional, there were so many tears in her eyes, she couldn't see that she was speaking to angels. And she said, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they've taken him to. It was almost like Mary missed everything that was going on and as she turned away from the tomb to walk away, 
all of a sudden, there appeared a man standing in front of her. It shocked me, too. I didn't see this man come into the garden. I didn't know where he came from or when he arrived. It was almost as if he just appeared right next to her. Mary, looking at the man, they started engaging in conversation. The man said, woman, why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? And then Mary, this is so ironic, she thought it was me. She thought it was the gardener in the garden. And she said, sir, if you have taken him to another place in your garden, just tell me where and I will take the body of Jesus off your hand. I don't know what Mary thinks that gardeners are responsible for, but that is way above my pay grade. I didn't know anything about the body of Jesus, but maybe this man did. But as I looked closer, there was something different about this man. The way that he stood there, the way that he looked at her, the longing, the love, the compassion, the grace in his eyes. And all of a sudden it clicked for me. This is Jesus. Jesus is standing in front of Mary. The Jesus that Mary is looking for is standing right in front of her and she thinks it's the gardener. It wasn't until Jesus called Mary by name that she realized it was him. I'll never forget the way that Jesus said it. He looked at Mary and he spoke her name so tenderly, so kindly. He said, Mary. And in that moment, Mary's eyes were open and she realized who she was talking to. She said, Rabboni, which means teacher. They embraced. She hugged him for a long time. I watched them hug. There was something within me that was being tugged as I watched Mary there standing outside the tomb, weeping earlier that morning. I couldn't help but, but feel her pain, feel her loneliness, feel her longing, the helplessness and the hopelessness that was in her eyes. But then as, as she was embracing Jesus, I couldn't help but feel that I've never experienced that myself, that closeness of a relationship. Jesus and Mary hugged for just a moment and they had a quick conversation and then Mary left. Mary went back into the city to tell everybody that he is risen. And as I watched Mary exit the garden, I turned to look back and Jesus was gone. Just like he appeared, he disappeared and he was gone. It just didn't add up to me. Why would... Jesus, if he were to rise from the dead, why would he tell a woman? You see, in my culture, if you have big news, you go to the king. You send a messenger to the Roman official. If you do have something important and you want it authenticated, you send your news to the authorities. But instead, Jesus spoke to a woman. And not just any woman, a woman who everybody had thought was crazy. Who's going to believe her report? Let me tell you. These moments have changed everything for me. As I look back and I reflect on this, let me tell you a little bit about what has happened in the days and weeks since that crazy weekend. Jesus has appeared numerous times to his followers. He appeared to two of his followers as they were traveling to Emmaus, and then as they were breaking bread in the home, their eyes were open and they realized it was Jesus. And then Jesus appeared to his disciples, his followers, in the place where they were staying in Jerusalem. He had a meal with them, and they realized this is the risen Christ. 
But here's the grace and mercy and tenderness of Jesus. You see, one of his disciples wasn't in the room that day, Thomas. And when Thomas returned, the others told him, Jesus is risen. We have seen him. He's been in this room. He's eaten a meal with us. And Thomas said this. He said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, place my fingers in the scars, place my hand in the wound in his side from that spear, I will never believe. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is so good. Eight days later, he returned to the place where the disciples were staying. This time, Thomas is there. And when Thomas saw Jesus, saw the marks, he believed. He knew Jesus was the Christ. Jesus has appeared to over 500 people since rising from the dead. Let me tell you, this has changed everything for me. When it comes to my work, I realize that life isn't just about a paycheck. It's not about advancing the family business. It's not about adding another garden to my portfolio at work. Life is short. And I need to live life in light of eternity because this life is not all that we have. There is life. Jesus' resurrection proves that there is more yet to come. The best is yet to come. And then when it comes to my family, I finally faced up and had the tough conversation with my wife. I asked her to forgive me. And my kids, if they could ever forgive me. I realized that relationships are so much more important than status, than selfishness, than my reputation. As I watched Mary in the garden that morning, and I watched her weeping outside the tomb before she met Jesus, all I could think about was my family and the absence, the loneliness that they feel when I'm constantly running away. And then when Jesus was embracing Mary and that relationship, that oneness, that closeness, that's how I want to treat my family. But ultimately, I've realized that my family needs more than I can offer them. My family needs Jesus. And that leads me to the last part. This is the most incredible change in my life. You see, I'm no longer just Joe the gardener. I'm Joe, the one who Jesus loves. And my life is no longer just about making it to the weekend or escaping the hard things or trying to take the easy road or just running off to work when my family's frustrating me, just trying to get through the day. Now my life is about really living. I have purpose. I have hope. I have a home. I have a reason. And his name is Jesus. You see, when I saw the resurrected Jesus, I realized that the way that I was living my life didn't make sense with what I saw. And the only real life is Jesus' life in me. I want to thank you so much for letting me share my story today. It's an incredibly strange story that took place in the garden that day. And I have more people to tell. We have more people to tell. You see, as we send this story, we need to continue to multiply this story because there are people who haven't heard yet. There are people who are just trying to get through their days like I was trying to get through my days, hurting and abandoning the people around me. But now I realize Jesus is my life. He's my purpose. He's my hope. And I have more people to tell. Thank you so much for having me here today. a moment to do so.
Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. While you're there, you can check out all of the video content that we've recorded over the years. Be sure to follow. We're a good news people. Our lives are shaped by the good news. Uh, and we are a mission people because um, we are our uh, purpose in our lives is shaped by the good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins and he suffered and died, but that he has risen victorious and that is part vital part of the good news that we have to share. So I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to close this time in prayer and I invite you to, uh, to pray with me. Lord, thank you for, thank you for, for being willing to come for us. Thank you for being willing to suffer for us. Thank you for being willing to substitute your life and, and to die in our place. Thank you so much, Lord, that, that you have risen, that you have uh, resurrected from the grave, and that you have risen victorious, and that you triumph over sin, and you triumph over death, and that you give us uh, new life, and that you promise us that someday if we confess and repent of our sin and turn to you uh, that we can have eternal life and that someday we too will ha we have the assurance of a resurrection that is coming. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Thank you that it means uh, everything to us and it makes all the difference in our lives and every aspect in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being the hope of the world. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Thank you that we are a gospel people, a good news people. We are people with a message of hope and, and, of, and of life in a world that is so characterized by, by, by death and by bad uh, news. Thank you that we have the good news. Lord, thank you for, uh, for Josh and, and his work today to give us a sense of what that looks like, what it looked like and what it looks like today in our lives. We just pray, Lord, that our lives going forward would be shaped by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that as we live out our lives as messengers, as people um, on mission with a message, that you would bless and use us uh, to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.